You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, welcome back to the Locked on Cavs podcast. Joining me for our much-promised post-draft wrap-up, it is the machine himself, Trevor Magnotti on Twitter, at Illegal Screens. Find his writing at Fear the Sword and the Step Back. Trevor, what's going on, buddy? Not much. I'm uh, not very happy with what happened last night, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into that. I'll try to be a little bit more level-headed than I was on our last podcast. <laughs> um Apologies for that, but uh, yeah, not exactly the best. Um, not exactly the best outcome, I think, in terms of, of the draft process for the Cavs. But they were far from the only team making mistakes last night, so um, I guess the, I guess they can take uh, take that with them. Yeah, so a very interesting, uh, I would say, draft for the Cavs. Um, we're in a position where they have taken Darius Garland number five, taken. Uh, Dylan Windler at number 26 after originally Shams Charina, who's like never wrong, um, reported that they were going to take um, Kelvin Johnson from Kentucky. And then they trade back up into the first round, giving up a, I believe, four second round picks that are v- various degrees of quality and paid like $5 million, which is the most ever, to, to take Kevin Porter Jr., someone we know that they were very high on throughout the draft process. Uh, Trevor, the, let's start with Darius Garland. We know that he was someone the Cavs were linked to a lot in the lead up to the draft. You and I thought it might be a smokescreen, and then there were some other trades that happened. The Cavs were linked to trades, you know, up until they made the pick, basically. Like, that, it was kind of, like, up there until the Garland pick sort of came in that we thought they might be making a trade. So when you think about Garland, um, if you're if you're trying to explain this in a positive way, if you're going to try and say, like, what, what is the logic behind this pick? Because I do think it is there. What What is it, in your opinion? Well, I think that what the company line is going to be is you know we've heard it a little bit already that like they want this to be Willard and McCollum they want to have two guys who can be quality ball handlers who can initiate the offense who can play well off of each other and who can drive a really strong offensive team with a good infrastructure around it to be able to kind of capitalize on all of their strengths and I think that like there's a possibility that that could work I mean I think that these two guys, while they have similar skill sets, they are b- good at different things. And I think that the way we've seen Colin Sexton develop, I think that there's a shot that he could definitely turn into more of probably like along the McCollum spectrum where, you know, he's a little bit better playmaker. He's a little bit better um, shooter off movement and off ball player. And then you got Garland, who is the ball dominant guy who can get to his pull up out of a variety of different looks. So I could see this, you know, that's the blueprint. My thing is just that is a almost impossibly high ceiling for these two guys. And there were much better options on the board that we have discussed time and again. The guys that we were looking at who made a lot more sense than Garland, a couple of them were there, most notably the guy that we all wanted, Jarek Culver. So a little bit of a, a little bit of a disappointing kind of decision-making aspect there. But I think that like what they're trying to do isn't necessarily the worst thing. I just really wonder what the ceiling of that actually looks like, given what these two players are 
actually good at and how good they are at those things. So I will say the, th the things that I think will are the clear takeaways from this is, number one, they felt that Darius Garland was the best prospect on the board at that time. Um, you know, we yeah. don't really know, like, what they think of Culver necessarily. Like, that's sort of not clear in terms of the, their tiers. And obviously, they didn't like Cam Reddish as much. And DeAndre Hunter is gone at this point. I also think they like that. They're, they're, I think they're what they're going to say a lot, and I think the thing that will be key to this working is that, that Garland has to be a little bit different than Sexton. Number one, I think he does come into the league as a better prepared, like, three-point shooter. Um, I think yes. I, I think he's going to be able to, like, fire away from deep in a way that Sexton, like, wasn't last year. Like, remember, Colin Sexton was, like, actively avoiding taking a bunch of threes at the beginning of last year. Darius Garland's going to be firing shots from, like, 30 feet. Like, that, that's a thing. Um, number one, number two, I think we need to kind of just see what Garland is going to look like off ball. Um, I, when I talked to his high school coach um, right after the, the pick, Hubie Smith, Hubie said that, you know, it's something that, like, he obviously did not have to do a lot, but it's something, like, they made a, a conscious effort to work on because they knew it might matter someday. So I, I think um, that that's, like, how that sort of works because one of the things that really works with Lillard and McCollum is, like, that they both can – can you know space the floor off ball a little bit, do some catch and shoot work, and, or be the secondary attacker? That's going to be really key to this working. And Beeline's offense is really going to have to uh, kind of put that up there. You know, I I I just think we also just know the Cavs are we're not picking for fit at this point. I think, um, and they certainly seem to have a type coming into this draft. I think they're building a certain type of thing. And overall, I, I just think like they're going they're going for just kind of maximizing sort of what Beeline is going to do on the offensive end more than anything else. I think that's sort of what, and taking Garland, I think that's the first step in that. The other picks do the same thing. Um, but I get, and look, I didn't love it initially. It's not, it probably wasn't what I would do, but I, I at least feel like when you look at this pick, if there are concerns, if there are fit concerns, if, you know, there, there are question marks that are going to take time to answer. I do feel as if I can understand the logic behind it. And I can understand that there, there seems to be, something they are trying something but something they are trying to build and i feel like that it, even if the pick isn't perfect i think that's at least a positive right like i don't think this is a pick where it's just like they they did something crazy like take Sekou Domboya at five or something right like they, they took a guy that maybe the fit's not perfect but they felt he's the best prospect feel like he's going to help them and it fits what they want to do and in a draft that maybe if you don't love a lot of the prospects maybe if you don't love some of the other guys that are on the board at that time. You couldn't make a deal to move back or whatever. That's not a. That's something at least I can understand and rationalize and, and say, like, you know what? Maybe it's not what I would have done, but I, I get it at least. Yeah, and I think there is definitely something to the idea that they were trying to trade this pick up to the last second. I mean, he definitely kind of seemed like the like last option and they kind of just got put in a situation where they they needed to make a move and he was the guy that they had they felt the most comfortable with at, at that spot i definitely think that there were options i mean we know that they talked to minnesota about trying to trying to trade down we know that they discussed with atlanta about trying to trade down and i really wonder you know if they just kind of ran out of options for that because Minnesota wasn't going to give them what they wanted necessarily. Atlanta did, uh, got wedded to New Orleans and was able to move up ahead of them. Like, I just kind of feel like they, you know, this was probably not plan A for them um, was keeping the pick when it all kind of came down. But um, this is, this is the guy that they kind of had their, had their sights set on. And I, 
don't necessarily agree with you that this is the best thing for kind of setting up a good offensive setup for John Beeline. Um, I have significant questions about Garland's playmaking ability as well as Sexton's playmaking ability and how that relates to this probably being like a ball <laughs> movement motion offense, taking two point guards who neither of them are probably going to come in as even average passers in the league at the point guard position is a little bit of a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that, but you know, I, I do agree that like there were several teams at least immediately after the Cavs pick that made some decisions then and pick some guys way earlier than they should have. And it's good that the Cavs didn't at least reach for something like that. I mean, Garland at least was reasonable to take at, at this range. If you felt comfortable with what he does. Yeah, I agree that there are questions, but I, I do think that, um, I do think that'll be interesting to just see kind of how that, that works. And, and I think there are going to be like an adaption of what beeline does to kind of, kind of bring this all together. I also say like, uh, it'll be interesting to see how these guys work defensively. I think that's probably my biggest question, just because Sexton has a little bit of a longer wingspan. I think Garland, um, according to his high school coach, is six three now, so he's a little bit taller. How they deploy them defensively and who improves defensively will, will really matter, because I don't think Sexton was horrible defensively as a rookie, and you can kind of speak to what Garland comes in as a defender from what we know about him in high school, but that's probably the biggest question of all this, right? Like, no one's going to say Lillard and McCollum are lockdown defenders, but they at least work and, like, fight through screens and sort of have decent instincts to know where to be. And that counts for a lot um, on that end of the floor. Yeah, I mean, we, we pretty much know based on kind of what the personnel is that, like, they better not try a switch scheme next year because it would, it would get blown up very easily um, just because they don't have – really anybody that help that helps to make that work. You need guys who are like Jarrett Culver um, to be able to make that type of scheme work effectively, but it's not the only scheme that you can run in the modern NBA. I mean, they could make a pick a different type of and roll coverage work. They can make a, a different type of kind of like modified zone work potentially with these guys. Um, and I will say that Garland is not completely useless on the defensive end. I think that he was the second best defensive prospect of the three point guards that went in the top seven um, behind Kobe White. I think that he does have some positive qualities, mainly his ability to kind of recognize and rotate um, uh, off ball. He at least recognizes kind of where open spots are for the offense and tries to make, uh, make an effort. His frame is just going to be a little bit of a problem, but I think that there is the potential that this could work if you're playing him off ball, utilizing his ability to kind of read and react and then using Sexton's wingspan and competitive nature to kind of really groom him as an on-ball defender at the point of attack. I mean, I think that this is not going to necessarily be like a complete disaster when it's all, when it's all said and done. I mean, this defense is probably always going to be bad, but it, it, it does have a path to being passable. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with more on this draft um, and more on the Cavs' next two picks. But if you haven't already, uh, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the new Himalaya Podcast app. But we'll be right back with more with Trevor Magnotti. All right, and we're back. Trevor Magnotti is here. Um, all right, Trevor, let's move on to Dylan Windler. Um, what we, he's someone that I don't believe came up once when you and I were were podcasting and chatting about the draft. Um, for for he, I don't think I knew who he was. Frankly, um, that's I don't watch like a ton of OBC. He's someone that 
came across the Cavs in in-person games when they were scouting John Morant in that same conference. So give us the breakdown of Dylan Windler from Belmont, um, a 6'8", I believe, forward who is going to come in as a, as a three-point shooter. And at the press conference that's going on right now, that's what Beeline's hyping up, and he's praising the, the, the shooting ability this guy has. So who is Dylan Windler, and what is he as a prospect as he enters the NBA? Yeah, so Dylan Winmer is a four-year senior who played at Belmont. He uh, established himself as a very good three-point shooter throughout his career. You know, struggled early on as a as a freshman, but kind of steadily grew um, in the number of attempts that he took and also his percentages, and that's something that's pretty exciting. Um, finished out his college career hitting 100 of 233 three-point attempts, a 42.9% clip last season, which is pretty solid. He has size at 6'8", has a little bit of length, too so that's gonna that's gonna help him was a very good rebounder at the small college level um average 10.8 rebounds a game which is which is exciting for a wing i don't know that that's going to translate very well but it goes to show that he does play a little bit bigger than his size i mean he's a little bit undersized for what you'd like in terms of kind of what his frame is and he, but he makes the most of it. He uses what he has very well, and I think that's a positive for trying to project him forward as a defender. I'm not super high on his defensive capabilities. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you can expect to be like a two-way wing, but I think that he's really going to provide some off-ball spacing value in the way that the Cavs really haven't had Um last season I think that you have a guy that is going to be able to come off screens is going to be able to hit like trailing threes maybe useful as a screener um, to be able to generate open shots for the point guards and then flare to the three-point line Um, so just kind of you're looking to use him as like a tall shooting guard and I think that you know there's a role for there's a definite role for that on this team that we've talked about multiple times needs shooting help even though they already have some positive shooters there they need guys who can be those gravity um bending threats that can attract defensive attention even when they're off ball and when we're definitely could be that type of guy so uh, a follow-up to that is his re- he has these rebounding numbers that was like he was like a top like one of the 10th best rebounder in terms of rebounds per game um in in that draft is he like what is he if, if he's not going to be a great defender but is going to be shooter to, is is rebounding other dimension to his game or is there another dimension to this guy's game? Yeah, I don't I don't know that rebounding is necessarily like a huge dimension for him um just because I think that you know, he's playing against smaller guys in the OVC was basically playing at the at the four um, at six, eight and kind of functionally playing as like a pick and pop big or like third wing, which is kind of what they do in the in the modern NBA with with guys his size. But I don't know that that's necessarily going to translate. Well, really, I think the big benefit that he could potentially have is as, as a guy who can be a screener who you can use to generate switches um, and attack, um, you know, maybe let confident on-ball defensive wings who are not as used to defending that point that point of attack and are going to be better used like stuck on an off-ball threat kind of chasing around I mean you look at you looking at guys like you know that's the guy that like Steph Curry is for the Warriors defense um that's what guys like Aaron Gordon or Eric Gordon in Houston do um so you're kind of putting the opportunity 
of maybe using him as a screener through having that three-point threat that the point guards can then go to as an outlet, but then can also generate these switches that they're going to be able to attack, which may be pretty comfortable. So I think that that's the dimension of his game that I would be most excited about adding outside of the shooting, just because I think that he does, he does do a pretty good job as a screener. And I think that they could really make use of that to really kind of spring open some good shots for Garland and Sexton. Um, when you think about who was available, you think about the the possible options. Was this what do you how do you grade and evaluate this pick in the context of who else was available at that spot? I mean, I think I think this was probably their best pick in terms of value on, okay. on the night. I think that they did a really good job of kind of they surveyed around who was who was there and they really took a guy who may have not have been the highest rated guy in a vacuum but I think fit what they needed pretty well um I was definitely a lot happier with that knowing that they took Winwer um as opposed to my immediate reaction to them taking Keldon Johnson which was um a much bigger head scratcher when that tweet came out. Um, I'm, I'm glad that they went with Winwer instead because he makes a lot more sense for them. Um, I, I think that like in terms of process, he is the guy who I think you want to be drafting at that spot, has like a go-to NBA skill, and is going to be able to provide some value I think in the first couple years, even if his ceiling is probably not much more than like the eighth, ninth best player on a team. How does he fit with, with Jenny and how, and how could he look as in terms of like playing like the three spot with two guard lineups? Like is, is either of those in any way stand out to you? Well, I think that the big thing that he does is he provides another spacing threat. So if they do want to use um, Jetty as an on-ball creator, there's another guy there who can kind of provide that spacing in the corner um, and can kind of open up things for for them to do that. Um, him and Garland, I think, both both help in that regard. And then also, like, when we're – while I'm not super high on his ability to, like, defend as a four full-time, I mean, he definitely, I think, is a little bit better served in that role than Os- than Osman is um, just because I think that he has a little bit more tendency to actually kind of play at that role and he's a little bit more used to it he's a little bit more willing to bang with bigger guys so I think that that situation that Jetty ran into like last December early January where they did not have a a healthy power forward on the team and Jetty was playing default power forward and was getting beat the hell up and just looked exhausted. Like, like looked exhausted and worn down and like deflated doing that. Like for context. Yeah. I, I think, I think that with time, like Winwer is probably more likely to be that type if they need it than, than Jetty is. And I think that frees him up to be a little bit more useful than what he was able to show last year. Moving on. Uh, Kevin Porter jr. Is the last first round pick. They trade a, a, four second round picks which come from some other teams and uh, there'll be some protections on them as well so it might not end up even being the four picks or whatever but also paid a bunch of money believe five million dollars to go up and get him he's someone again that we thought they were interested in as high as like in the lottery if they had to maybe move back but Trevor I gotta say I I get the concerns about him there were obviously um, personality concerns when he was at USC the, the fit concerns, you know, and what his skill set is, is a little bit interesting. And you got to hope he develops and does some off-ball stuff and doesn't turn into, like, a, a worse version of Zach Levine or something like that. But if you're getting him at 30, um, even if you, like, have concerns, I think he's, there's, like, that's, like, I can, I can rationalize that in a very clear way, right? Like, I, again, like, I understand the concerns. I, I get that. But I also think, like, there's a way this is a really, really interesting value pick at 30 for a guy that clearly is very talented. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. I, th- I think that if you're looking at him purely as a lottery ticket, I think that this it's hard to say that they, you know, that they didn't come away with a player who could end up being the best player that they get from this draft. I mean, there's an avenue to that. But I do think that I'm not in love with, with kind of how they got here. Um, no, it's a lot because... to give up. It's a lot. To, like, it's a $5 million is a lot to give up for this. Let's, that, that's, that's well, and, yeah, and, and especially, you know, there's the stuff with, like, the J.R. Smith contract and, like, now they potentially have to, like, not being able to find a suitor for him now means that they have to kind of eat $14 million of his contract, well, and that's no, no, a little bit that, of a... They're not going to eat that. Like, if they don't trade him, they get to cut him in a week and um, only have $3 million on the books. Yeah, yeah. So, but, like, it, but it gets so, him... It, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, I, but I, also don't, I don't think still, that market's it, there. Yeah, it's still it's still the I, I agree with you, but it's still like the combination of those two things where you weren't able to get off that money or be able to bring in like a useful player, and then also you paid five million dollars and four and four future assets, even if one of them's not actually really an asset in that Miami pick. Um, it you you spent four of those assets plus that money to move up to take a guy who. Just you have to kind of look around at what you already have and realize that there's a very minimal chance that poor I think hits what his ceiling could become on this Cavs team. I mean, he is going to have skill overlap with their two point guards who they are much more heavily invested in. And he is going to be a guy that you have to really hope clicks with the coaching staff in a way that he didn't at USC. And there's a potential that that could happen, but there's a potential that he could just, you know, see another college coach and, and get rubbed the wrong way. And Bayland could be rubbed the wrong way with Porter. And, you know, he could see the, the same thing happen. So I really kind of wonder, you know, I wonder what the utility of, of taking him actually is because it's, it's again, that what is a player players value in a vacuum versus what can you functionally make out of him. And I don't think those two things are the same thing. I think that Porter's value at 30, if you just look at Kevin Porter's available with the 30th pick, yeah, he looks like a good value there. But if you're going to take that player and that skill set and you're going to put him with the Cavs, other guards in a situation where he's probably not going to have a good defensive ecosystem to around him, he's probably not going to have that great of a structure or culture around him, at least this year. Um, I really, really worry that they just kind of burn that pick and are not going to get the same amount of or even close to the same amount of value that they want out of Porter versus what they're actually going to get with Porter kind of based on what his skill set means for fitting into this team culture. The culture, what the Cavs can set up this year is going to be interesting. It's something they're pushing a lot. So we'll see how that, how that ultimately goes, but take one more break and then we're going to be back. Um, but again, if you aren't already use a smart device to play this podcast and any lockdown podcast, all I gotta say is, hey, is to tell you whatever smart device you have in your home, car, wherever. Just say play podcast locked on Cavs. It'll dial it right up, and you'll hear me and Trevor, or me and whomever else I'm talking to on the show, chatting about the draft. But we'll be right back with more with Trevor Magnati. And we're back. Okay, Trevor. Last thing, uh, last two things rather. What is your overall grade for this draft? For me, I think it's a B minus C plus. I think you know, I I think there are fit concerns. I think there are value concerns. 
But the Cavs clearly had a goal. They had a goal to go out and get young talent. I think they, they at least have guys that I can understand. I think you can see the sort of the vision that Kobe Altman um, wants to, to lay down. I think the beeline seems to be very um, in on sort of what they did here as well. And I, I think that kind of cohesion makes some sense. But where do you stand on, on how you actually ultimately grade this draft in the immediate after, in just the immediate sort of gut reaction kind of way? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm at like a C minus just because like the the like the overall players that they took, I'm not like I'm not unhappy with each individual pick by itself. But it's p- mainly the combination of taking Darius Garland over Jarrett Culver, who seemed like a much better culture fit and a much better fit for what this team needed moving forward. And then trading all of those assets to move up to get Kevin Porter, who does not fit with Darius Garland. That, I mean, I mean, this could work. You could, I mean, you're taking lottery tickets in a very bad draft. If they get one rotation player out of these three guys, I think they've had some success with it. But it's just the, there were guys there at each pick that would have made more functional sense and been much better functional fits for what this team needed moving forward than what they ended up getting. And again, I go back to they they took talent, but they didn't consider how that talent fit with the players that they were going to put around them. And they probably handicapped their ability to develop and deploy that talent effectively because it's not, we talk all the time about asset acquisition and talent acquisition, but that's only a third of the rebuilding process. You need to develop that talent once you get it and you need to deploy that talent effectively once it has been developed. And I really have concerns about their ability to do those second two things based on the players that they picked. I think that's fair, and I don't think summer leagues are going to provide very many answers. Um, number one, you know, Garland isn't going to play in summer league as far as we know. Number two, um, Windler kind of he's sort of the right kind of thing um, is is interesting. And number two, um, number three, I should say that like I don't know if Porter's going to play in summer league just because of when the trade's going to get completed. You know, like that could be like a July six kind of thing, and that kind of rules him out for at least Utah and at least the very least of Vegas. So. That is that is interesting, um, and I don't think that's ideal, but we'll kind of see what that sort of looks like. But we're going to wrap up kind of looking at some of the guys that we know as of right now uh, the Cavs have signed to, let's say, two-way contracts or have signed for Summer League. There's a couple names out there. I think there's only, Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe only three names that we sort of know right now. Um, the Summer League roster should get announced soon. They start practicing a week uh, on ju- ju- uh, July 28th, and they um, start play on July 1st, and really will go up to the 15th. But as of right now, here are the the players that we sort of that we know are going to be on their on their Summer League team. Uh, Dean Wade is a two way contract player, 22 years old, 6'10 forward from Kansas State, um, was a 40% three point shooter his last three years in college. Um, that it also does mean that Jaron Blossom game, who was a two-way player last year, is going to be, according to um, someone I talked to, he's not going to get a qualifying offer, so he is not going to play in summer league. Which he, I don't, when I talked to him recently, he said that, and um, he's not going to be at the team moving forward. They also signed Marquise Bolden from Duke. He's going to play in both summer league squads, and then uh, Phil Booth from Villanova is another one. He's a six-three guard. Any of the names stand out to you there, Trevor? 
Yeah, I, I'm not super upset with any of these three guys. I think that they made a really smart move picking up Wade in particular. I think he's the type of guy that you want to bet on this year with like a two-way contract because he, at his at his peak, I mean, he's a guy who came into the year for me like in the 20 to 25 range on my, on my big board because he was legitimately a very strong player in two, 2017, 2018 for Kansas State um, and really dealt with a ton of of foot injuries that kind of uh, that kind of left him um, left him missing a large chunk of the season and really ineffective when he uh, when he came back, especially on the defensive end. And I think that if he's healthy, he's a guy who potentially could make this roster and be converted to a full time player next year because he's tall. He he can shoot. He's a really good pick pick and pop weapon just a really solid screen setter and just technically really good shooter out of those sets and then also has really good perimeter defense and i think could be a really nice option as at the four um in in that regard he doesn't get nearly enough credit um as he probably should for his abilities at at that spot um so i like taking the upside swing with wade that like if he comes back and looks healthy he could end up being maybe a a rotation player for them next uh next year within the next couple of years um bolden you know he he's probably just a guy uh might be going to uh to canton or something but i mean give him a shot i he was a guy who was very maligned over his three years at duke but did get demonstrably better um it's all it's always good to have kind of a a cheap center in the background, especially if you're leaning on Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, who are probably going to have a 10-game stretch where one of them misses with injury at some point next year, um, just based on how the last couple years have gone. So having another guy that's just a body can be can be nice. And then I like Phil Booth, too, another guy who was a senior and dealt with a ton of injuries at Villanova, but won a, won a national title, was a very key player for one of their national title teams, and... Um, just a really solid defensive player at the shooting guard position. Um, I think that he does enough little things that, you know, there's something that he could be developed into if he can get himself healthy again. I think that that's a, that's a nice solid option. So I don't hate any of the, any of these three moves. These are kind of the guys that, um, you know, the team seems to like to bet on like these fifth year or fourth year, or fifth year seniors. Um, that have decent skill sets with the, with these types of deals. So I, I like bringing in uh, Booth and Wade and then just kind of, you know, Bolden as a body. I think that all three of them, you know, could be potential guys that I can see being around the team next year. I also would say I think there are guys out there still that would make some sense. Like if by the time people listen to this, some of this could have changed. This is going to be the first show I'm going to have up um, before, you know, after the, the initial draft reaction show that I had with Jordan Zerm and Ben Axelrod. But, you know, like, Jonte Porter's still out there. I know the injury concerns for him are real. Um, Charles Matthews from from um, Michigan's out there. Now, he obviously has the ACL tear. That complicates things. But, uh, you know, I think that, that there's obviously the connection there. Um, could could develop into a really nice wing defender, kind of 3 and D type. And then, like, a favorite of yours, Terrence Davis, as far as I, as I know, um, having not fully seen is still out there but I, so I think there are other kind of guys out there and like while I do like Jerron Boston game I get like if there's other guys you like a little bit better I think there are some interesting ways you can go is there anyone else I didn't mention or or you want to elaborate more on someone I did mention that you think would kind of be worth a flyer for the Cavs like Yovel Zuzman could is another name that I've kind of seen out there still hasn't signed with someone 
Yeah, I, I think that there's there's definite options. Um, Davis is a is a huge one, um, just just because I think that he was a first round level talent in this class, and having him um, having him not go in the draft was a little bit of a surprise, um, especially to, especially to me. He I think would be like a really valuable player to pick up on a two way deal. Um, I think that there's some there's some potential other guys in ter- in terms of wings who make a little bit of sense. I mean, Matthew's probably not just because he's a guy that probably doesn't have, um, probably isn't going to be afforded the ability to kind of rehab and come back. Uh, Lewis King from Oregon is a guy that I haven't seen sign anywhere. He would be a potentially interesting guy, just kind of as a ball of clay. Um, Josh Reeves of Penn state, another guy I've been super high on who didn't go drafted. That really disappointed me because like, there's another guy who's really good at defense um, who could be a pretty useful player at that spot. And he ended up in Dallas, correct? Did he? I didn't. Okay, yeah. I didn't so I have see, I, I have a thing up on Reddit. The uh, someone, some beautiful person on our backslash NBA has a list of the the guys that have signed so far. So I don't know like a hundred percent how accurate this is, but I do think he's he signed a two way with Dallas. But that that's another guy as well. That's a guy you and I talked about. Like that would have made sense for them to draft in some capacity because of what he provides. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, you keep going down the list, uh, Jared, Jared Harper from Auburn, a, a, a ball handler who could be really useful in summer league. I don't think that he's signed anywhere. Um, and then, you know, Chris Wilkes, a guy who, um, I believe has, I believe has signed, has he signed yet? I dead air, dead air, dead air. As I Google this real quick. Um, yeah, he, he, uh, okay. So he's been, he's been picked up by the next, but, um, I think there, there's movement where there's guys that, that are going to be at summer league who the Cavs could then pick up and are kind of guys that uh, guys that we've listed off here. There's a lot of kind of guys who play the one, two and three. Um, and I think getting, getting one of those options, um, somebody who can kind of play in the backcourt and be just another, uh, player that you take a development shot on there, I think could be really useful um, moving into the season. I mean, you've got Wade on a two way, and then I think looking more towards maybe like a like an off ball um, shooter or a kind of complimentary guy at in the backcourt could be a really useful option. Uh, last thing, when do we start? When do I need to start paying attention to the twenty twenty draft class? Um, well, there's going to be some, there's obviously going to be some U20 stuff going on, um, this, this coming summer, um, that we'll be paying attention to, I'll probably, you know, start really ramping up and diving into guys probably in like late July, August. Um, there is this coming year is going to be really interesting because it definitely seems to have a much better top tier than the uh than this class um but there is no like zion williamson there is no anthony davis there is no like clear number one guy i think there's like six or seven guys who potentially could one of them could emerge as as the clear cut number one um so i think that that's going to make things really interesting uh to kind of talk about as we move into the beginning of next year uh and there are a ton of league guards next year and a ton of kind of useful um like useful athletic big men. So it's going to be really interesting based on what the Cavs kind of need as it stands right now, um, kind of looking at next year's draft class and trying to figure out who their favorites should be. 
Yeah, uh, I won't start on this until the fall, but I'm already, like, just wondering, like, when I get to, like, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna just, just kind of, there's a 2020 big board <laughs> up <laughs> up on the Stepien already, which is your best site. Uh, the tier one guys are Cole Anthony, Killian Hayes, and Anthony, Anthony Edwards. And then you yeah. have guys like... Um, that, that's by that's by Mike Gribbenoff, yep. who is probably the best, like, accessible high school scout that we have. Um, read that board and commit it to memory because Mike's right a lot of the time. Um, he's He had Zion Williamson number one at the beginning of the year. He had Kobe White in his top ten. Um, he, he gets a lot right based on how he evaluates uh, AAU stuff. Um, and bless him for sitting through and watching all of that stuff. So definitely pay attention to, to that. And um, he, he's a great resource that I'm probably going to call a lot of information off of to present my early uh, 2020 board. Yeah, uh, you can, I'll link to that in the show notes. I'll link to Trevor's content that he wrote um, at about of other bunch of places at the step pack as well. Um, but Trevor, go get some rest. You've, you've earned it. And thanks again for all your insight across this whole crazy, crazy process. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely.